Our mothers occupy an invaluable role, invaluable place in our lives. I read the observation that said by the time a mother has lived with her children 18 years, she has put in 18,000 extra hours of labor. I don't know whether that's an understatement or an overstatement, but it says there's a lot. I also remember reading the story of a father who's trying to teach his young daughter at age four about marriage. And so he thought the best way to do that was to get out the album that contained the pictures of, of the wedding. And so he's going through the pictures of the wedding, and finally he comes to the last picture of all, which is the picture of the wedding party. And that's when the little four-year-old daughter asked her father, is that when mama came to work for us? And perhaps you've heard the statement, if dad's not happy, who cares? But if mom's not happy, nobody's happy. And I love the old Spanish proverb that says, an ounce of mother is worth a pound of clergy. Mothers occupy a significant role for us. I'm reminded of Jochebed and the place that Jochebed played in the lives of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. She set the nation, set the nation on an upward spiral, upward trend. I'm reminded of, the, of Hannah, who, being unable to have a child, finally God blesses her in her barrenness to have a child, and she had said, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. <laughs> and she gives Samuel to Eli. Eli teaches him and trains him. But perhaps most notable to all those mothers that we have in the Bible is the mother who is willing to give her child up to keep from having her child being cut in half. What a selfless act on the part of that mother. But yes, I mentioned this, and we talk about Mother's Day. I am well aware that this is a sensitive a, sen a sensitive day for many. I'm well aware that many have lost mothers, and for that our heart grieves with you. I'm well aware that sometimes the relationship between mother and child is not, not as God would design, and there's a fracture that is there. And my heart grieves for you. I'm also aware that, that there is the inability to, to bear children. And again, my heart grieves for you. This is in no way intended to increase your pain or your burden. But it is an attempt to highlight for each one of us who have had or do have mothers in our lives. One of my favorite movies of all time, in fact, it is my favorite movie of all time. It's an old, old, old Disney movie. It came out in my youth, very young in my life. The title of the movie is called Follow Me Boys. It is a movie that stars Vera Mills and Frederick McMurray. Frederick McMurray is a vagabond man who plays in a vagabond band, a sax. And he's traveling with the vagabond band and comes to a little community called Hickory. He wants to become a lawyer, and as he's traveling in the, in the band bus, he's always studying his law books. And finally, he comes to Hickory, and he, the band, the band uh, owner has not paid the band because he has no money to pay them. They stop at Hickory at this little five and ten, dime, five and ten cent dime store that's there, which is really the, the, the store for the whole town. 
And in the sign there, in the, in the window, there's a sign that said, help wanted. And he's thinking to himself, I'm tired of this vagabond life. And so he takes the sign out and goes in and asks the owner for the job. And finally, the owner says, can you deal with boys? Because in the town square there, which is very, very small, there are boys playing baseball. And the ball is flying everywhere. And it gets an air, they step on everybody that comes by them. And he can deal with boys, and so he gets the job. But across the way, the window from the store looks at the window of the bank, and there is Vera Mills. She's the secretary of the banker. The banker's a jerk. He's very narcissistic. But Vera Mills, Vida, as she's known in the story, is the girlfriend of the banker. Well, there's a town meeting that they have, and the mayor's conducting the town meeting to talk about what they're going to do about all these boys and how rude these boys are. And so Fred McMurray, named Lim Siddons in the show, is sitting behind Vida, and she sees her, he sees her scribbling, Boy Scouts, 4-H, and a few other things, and scratches everything out except for Boy Scouts. Well, Lim wanted to impress Vida. As the mayor is saying, what are we going to do about these boys? New in town stands up and says, I think we ought to have a scout troop. And the mayor says, well, that's fine, young man, but we have nobody to be the scoutmaster. Wanting to impress Vida, he says, I will do it. And immediately, she turns and pays attention to him, fast-forwarding the show now. The time comes in which she establishes the scout troop. And Vida and Liam married. After a period of time, coming back from the honeymoon, He's still working at the store. She still works at the bank. But she all of a sudden is not feeling well. And she's going to the doctor. And she's saying the doctor says she's sick with this and sick with that. And finally, she has to admit to Liam, it's not that I'm sick. I can't bear children. And she just falls apart in his arms outside the front yard are over a dozen boys from the scout troop that are playing in the front yard. And as Leo embraces her, he goes to the window and says, no, the doctor's wrong. You are wrong. You have at least a dozen boys. Being a mother is not about being biologically able to bear a child. Being a mother is about someone who has a caring heart for children. And in that, every woman can be a mother. We have some here who are Lem and Vida, who have a host of children. When I think about that, my mind turns to a story in the Bible. And the story is about a mother, a grandmother, and a boy. There's a girl by the name of Eunice. And she's raised in a very godly home, it would seem. Her brother Lois is a very spiritually minded woman. And she teaches Lois Lois teaches Eunice 
about God and about the stories about all the Bible characters. As Eunice grows in age, she begins to become interested in a young man. Young man is not the choice of her mother, Lois, because he's not a believer. But Eunice is in love with this young man. And contrary to her mother's best advice, they marry. And eventually, Eunice and her husband have a child, a little boy. And they name that little boy Timothy. Well, in time, Eunice's father passes away and her mother Lois moves in to live with Eunice, Timothy, and Timothy's father. And as Eunice and Lois are there now, they now are teaching Timothy about God and teaching Timothy about the Word of God and the stories that come from the Bible. And there happens to come a preacher to town. And Paul comes and begins to preach and he opens the Word of God to Eunice and Lois in a way they've never heard it before. And begins to teach about this man named Jesus of Nazareth. And Paul exposes the old prophets and reveals who this man Jesus is. And Lois and Eunice embrace him as the Son of God, the Savior of mankind. In time, Paul takes Timothy with him on some travels. And he becomes sort of his protege and right-hand man in a lot of the travels that he does. And eventually, the relationship is so close between Paul and Timothy that when Paul is in prison writing the final letter of his life to Timothy, he pleads with him to come soon because he needs Timothy to be with him because everybody else has left. The influence of a mother and a grandmother, even when a father was not a believer. But let me put this parenthetical thought into the story. Oh, we do have a limited amount of information about the relationship in the home of Eunice and Timothy. At least in Acts chapter 16, when Timothy is introduced, introduced to us, and he's described as a disciple. We don't see the father who is an unbeliever interfering with the efforts of Lois and Eunice to teach Timothy. He could have easily pitched a fit and said, I'm not letting you talk to him about this one Jesus of Nazareth. He is mythological. He's a fable. I'm not letting you do that. But we don't find him interfering with the teaching. And if that is an implication of any sort, at least though an unbeliever, he is to be praised and be complimented for not stopping the spiritual education that Lois and Eunice are giving to this young man, Timothy. But I'd like to look at some passages here that we see in 2 Timothy, particularly in Acts chapter 16, about this young man and his mother and his grandmother. The first thing I'd like to see 
about this mother and grandmother is how they instilled a respect for God's word for him. Look in chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and look at verse 12. He said, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's interesting to me that when Paul begins to write Timothy, a part of the education that's taking place is that his mother and grandmother are instilling in him that this road being a Christian is not going to be an easy path. There's going to be some challenges along the way. There's going to be some trials along the way. And so Paul writes to Timothy enforcing that, and he says, Yes, and all who live God in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And then he says in verse 14, But you must continue in things which you have learned, and be assured of knowing from whom you have learned them. And what I get by that is it's not just that Eunice and Lois are trying to teach Timothy about coming challenges. They're trying to help him internalize what Paul is saying to him. They're trying to help him, as it were, in the words of Jordan, walk this off the page about what this means to be a Christian and to be a believer. In fact, it's interesting what he's described, how he's described that in chapter 16. He described as Timothy, a disciple. I think that's interesting. He could have said a believer, could have said a Christian. That would have been significant. But being a disciple means here's someone who is a learner. Here's someone who is a follower. And now here is Timothy being taught by his mother and his grandmother and being taught about the persecution that can come of being, being a Christian, being a follower, being a disciple of Jesus. And he said, we want you to internalize this. We want you to get this. We want you to understand this is a real thing. This is practical. This is real. And so they're helping him understand the challenges that he's going to face being a disciple something else i think that's interesting here is you see this in verse 15 and that from childhood maybe your text says and that from infancy that word infancy means from the earliest times and earliest of opportunities i'm reminded of the passage in proverbs that says train up a child the way it should go when he's old and not depart from it but it says also begin doing that early Teach him betimes. Teach him early to do this. And here you have Eunice and Lois in his infancy, in his childhood, at the earliest possible age he could possibly understand something. They begin to open to him the word of God. And when I see that, I think he's talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And when I see that, to my mind comes the stories of men like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, about Judah, about Samson, about Samuel, about Eli about David, all those stories, Esther and Ruth, all those stories that are there about these great Old Testament heroes that we read about. They possibly could have, to, could have rehearsed with him the lineage that we find in Matthew chapter 1, recalling Christ, about how there's 42 generations from Abraham to Jesus, and talk to him about those generations that were there. What you find them doing from the earliest point in his childhood is they are fulfilling Deuteronomy chapter 6, when it says, Teach your children, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you do that at every opportunity you have. You do that when you're sitting at the table talking to them. You do that when you're out shopping with them. You do that when you're playing with them in the park. You do that at night when you put them to bed. You do that when you are talking about the challenges of their lives. Who does it better than others? I failed in a lot of things as a father. We can rehearse those later at another time. It'd take more time to do than what we had this morning. One thing I principally failed at was this. When we would come to the table at night, 
I thought we came to the table to eat. Because in my house, when I was growing up, there were four kids and two parents. That meant there were six people at the table. I don't recall sitting at the table at home, a lot of conversation going on. The only time I remember a conversation going on was with mother fried chicken. Now, this was fried chicken with deep oil, Crisco fried chicken. Oh, this is the good stuff. This is the, the benign stuff. And so when you do that, you have the crumbs of the fried chicken still in the plate that was there. And the best part was to take a piece of bread off, tear it off, and sop the plate to get the crumbs from the fried chicken that was there. And the conversation we had to have with Dad was, Who, whose turn is it next? That was our conversation. The kids are in junior high and high school. And we're sitting at the table. And Jody's just talking to the kids. I'm doing what I do. I eat. And she informed me afterwards, you don't talk to the kids while we're eating. My ignoramus response was, I can't tone that down, is I thought we came to eat. She said, no, we come to talk. And then at night, the second principal failure was I thought they could go to bed by themselves. I mean, they're in high school at junior high, right? No. I'm downstairs in my recliner watching TV, and where is she? She's upstairs talking to the kids, and she's praying with them. What she's doing as a mother is she's instilling a presence of God in their lives. I failed in that. I remember reading the story of four scholars, biblical scholars, who were talking about the translations that they liked the best. And one spoke and said, I love the old King James. I love the eloquence, the elegance of the language. I love the prosaic part of it and just how it seems to flow. Another said, I love the American Standard Version because I love just how straightforward it is. And that takes you right to the message. Another said, I love the New Living Translation because I love how it has been simplified in our modern language. And finally, the fourth said, I love my mother's version. After the other three finished laughing, he said, because in my mother's version, she lived every day, every page of the Bible. Which version would you take? You see, these two mothers instilled a respect for God's Word. But second of all, they instilled authentic faith. Turn to chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Backing up to verse 3, he said, I thank God whom I served with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing. I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your fears, that I may be filled with joy. When I may be filled with joy, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm also persuaded in you also. 
Notice Paul's familiar. Paul's familiar with Eunice and Lois. In this relationship he's developed with them, he knows what they've been teaching Timothy from his earliest childhood. And when he speaks of them, he speaks of how they have not only developed their faith, but how they're also taking that faith and inscribing it on the heart of Timothy. I appreciate the statement. I really appreciate the statement that says our children have to have their own faith. I take that to mean our children are going to learn experiences in life and they have to learn how to navigate the experiences in life on their own. But the truth of the matter is, none of us have our own faith. All of us have a faith that has been handed down. All of us have a faith that has been inscribed on our hearts by someone in our life, a mother, a father, or someone who has been a principal person in your life. They have taken their faith and they have implanted that faith in our hearts. That's what Eunice and Lois did with Timothy. They shared with him their faith and that faith, he said, was genuine. Maybe your text says sincere. It means without hypocrisy. And what that meant was that Eunice and Lois were deadly serious about this. They were playing games about this. They were deadly serious about their faith. And they were deadly serious about what they were implanting in the heart of Timothy. They wanted Timothy, this young man who could call a disciple, to have a faith that they had to share that faith and to help that faith grow. I love the statement Jordan made in, the, in, the, in his sermon at 9 o'clock when he, one of the boys were asking, will I be taller than you? Will I have bigger feet than you? And he said, I hope you're taller. I hope you have bigger shoes. I hope my children have greater faith than I do. But the fact is, we try to implant that faith in the hearts of our children. And they were serious about that. We can't play games with this. Mothers, more than anybody else, have a significant part, a significant part, role to play in the development of the faith of that child. And they can't play games with it. Mothers have to be serious about the faith they're handing off or they're inscribing on the heart of the child. I'm not negating the responsibility of the father, but this lesson is not about fathers. That's another day. That's June. But now we're talking about mothers and the role that mothers play in this. But the fact of the matter is, who spends more time around the children? Most of the cases, not all times, but most of the cases, the greater percentage of the time, it's the mother that spends the most of the time around the children and the grandchildren. Who's spending the principal amount of time sharing their faith with Timothy? Is it Timothy's father? No, he's not a believer. It's Eunice and Lois. And they're sharing that faith with him, and they're making that real to him. In fact, it's more real to him than speaking five different languages when he's a five-year-old. They're more concerned about his soul than his clothes. They're more concerned about, about his eternal life than success in life. They're more concerned about his relationship with God than relationship with others. They're more concerned about his standing with God than standing with the world. And they're more concerned about him developing the spiritual gifts that have been given to him than his physical gifts, like academics, like athletics, like music. The spiritual was far more important to them, it seems. And so what you had is this was a home, it seems to me, where it was fertile ground for his faith to grow. And I would suggest 
the one that makes the home that fertile ground for faith to grow the most is the mother. That's just who she is. And that's the kind of person God created her to be. And what you have then is an authentic faith. The third thing is you turn to Acts chapter 16. Because this is the third passage that we look at this morning. and be the final passage we look at this morning that talks about this young man, Timothy. And what I think you see in this is you see in Acts chapter 16, there was, they, they instilled him a desire to serve. Look at verses 1 through 3 of Acts chapter 16. And he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy. A certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium, but Paul wanted to have him go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Look at three things that stand out here. First of all, he is called a disciple. He is a follower. He is a learner. Second of all, he has a great reputation even as a young man. He is well spoken of, verse 2. Third, he is available. Paul wanted to have him go with him, and he took him, and he circumcised him, and he traveled with Paul. Here you have a young man who was a disciple, you have a young man who was well spoken of, and you have a young man that is available for service. Yes, it's important to instill respect for God's Word. It's important to instill an authentic faith, a genuine faith, a faith without cracks, a faith that is whole, a faith that is sincere. But we have been saved to serve. The time had to come for Timothy to, put on the, to, to, to take the towel. The time had to come for Timothy to pour the base of the water, to take the towel, and begin to serve others. It was not just enough that he had that respect for God's Word. It was not just enough that he had an authentic faith. He had to take that authentic faith, and he had to share that with others. He had to share the gospel with others. He had to serve others. He had to serve them in the school, in his work, in his home. He had to share his heart with them. He had to share the spiritual gifts that he had with them. He came to be someone who was there to serve. It's interesting to me that when Paul refers to him, Multiple times, he will call him my child in the faith, my son in the faith. Those are affectionate terms. Those are terms of bonding. Those are terms that says Paul had an intimate part in developing Timothy in his life to be the evangelist and the young disciple that he was. Eunice and, Eunice and Lois wrote their faith in his heart, but Paul took that and he watered that faith. He nurtured that faith, and he calls Timothy my son of the faith, my child of the faith. But perhaps the greatest description he gives of him, he writes to the Philippians. When he says, I have no man like-minded who will care for your estate. What a commendation of service. Because just before that, Paul had said, I don't want to have run in vain. I don't want to have served in vain. But I have no one like-minded like Timothy who will naturally care for your estate. Mothers is still in their children a desire to serve. It's not a desire to serve themselves. It is a, a desire to reach out and to serve others. Mothers who do that 
are mothers who are sharing the love of the Lord they have with their children. A poem entitled, My Mother. Your love I know, I've seen your tears. You've given me my life. You've walked through the hours and days and years. Oh, of heartache, toil, and strife. To see that I could have the best that you could give to me, you gave up needs and often rest, you viewed eternity. To do his will my highest call, and by your special care I stood and walked and did not fall. You held me up in prayer. Those strands of gray may brush your hair and miles divide our way. I know that by your quiet prayer you helped me day by day. You showed me how to give, to share, to put my own needs last. You've helped me see and be aware that life is so soon past. Despite your love, I would not dare. But there's another who spreads her gentle, loving care. Like you, my loving mother. It's not stated in 2 Timothy. I think it is implied. But turn to Acts chapter 12 real quickly. Because I want you to see something that took place in the home of John Mark. That the poem just addressed. In Acts chapter 12 and verse 12, you know, John Mark, Acts chapter 15, forward for just a little bit and get to get to bad rap don't you see what took place in his home Acts chapter 12 and verse 12 when he consider this he came to the house of mary the mother of john whose surname was mark where many were gathered to gather praying you see what took place in the home of john mark there were people gathered to gather pray and I think implied in that story in 2 Timothy chapter 3 is that Eunice and Lois are spending a lot of time pray with and for Timothy. Again, I remember the story of the preacher talking to a young man who wanted to place membership in the church where he was preaching. After some conversation, the young man said, I'd like to join this church. And the preacher said, well, I'll just, I'm interested. What was it that I said that help you change your mind or make up your mind? The young man said, well, it was nothing you said. That's just the way my mother lived, and that's just how my mother taught me. For all the words that Jordan and I could utter, poor or eloquent, we cannot match the words our mothers speak through their lives to our children, adopted or otherwise. And Solomon said this, her children shall rise up and call her blessed. And that worthy woman is ready to be praised. For all our mothers we rise up and we call you blessed. We applaud you this day. If you need the Lord this day in your life, there's something that you find missing, perhaps you need to obey the gospel through baptism for the mission of your sins, or perhaps you just need to have a moment in your closet with God
How we can help you. You come while we stand and while we sing. Thank you for connecting with us this morning. We're so thankful that you were able to do that. If you have questions, we'd love to have the opportunity to talk to you. You can contact us at www.thebibleway.com or questions at thebibleway.com. Questions at thebibleway.com. We'd love to have you in person. Come if you can. But thank you for connecting with us.